Hello, Rampbox TV world. Once again, I'm here on a video that should have gone out on a Friday. So if it's Friday and you're watching this, all has gone to plan. Today, we're going to talk about Britpop, all the highs and lows and deconstructive criticism around that period of time. I have people in the room who I'll quickly introduce. We have Joe from Desperate Journalist. Joe, if you want to say hello. Hello. Excellent. <laughs> we also have Simran from Primitive Ignorant, if you want to say hello. Oh, hey man. We've got Simon also from Desperate Journalist. How are you doing, Simon? Good, thank you. Good answer. We have Charlie, who sometimes plays guitar in Desperate Journalist and has been in every other band besides them. How are you doing, Charlie? <laughs> Hello, viewers. That's I good. must point out, actually, Simran didn't flash green when you introduced him, which means didn't he? he won't be shown on video. Sim, do you want to say a louder hello? Oh, hello. Very good. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> um, I have various questions. Um, I'm going to open up with this one and then you guys can decide how you feel about answering it via apparently a hand system that we've employed courtesy of Charlie. So first question is, uh, what is your perception of the UK music scene before Britpop as a term became, before the term got widely used? <laughs> I'll go first. Um, uh, mine was basically nil uh, because I lived a very transatlantic childhood um, and I only came back to live in the UK in, uh, I think it was 1999. Um, so I had a very strange experience of British pop culture, um, which was basically, I lived in um, America for most of the time, but I'd come back to the UK every summer. So this may also inform the kind of um, uh, a very, strange nostalgia that I try and view in the context um, of other people's experiences of actually having to live in Britain at the time um, compared to my sort of like literally summering within Britpop um, sort of situation. Um, so yeah, I didn't really know much about it um, until I read articles in Q magazine basically. Um, and I was also a little bit too young for it at the time. So yeah, and a, a slightly wrong perspective based on uh, yeah fractured places that I was living. So is it fair to say that the magazine what Q and various other ones contributed to what you know of Britpop and have you gone beyond those understandings since? I would say it's Q magazine was definitely my sort of window into the world of what was going on in pop music because um, I didn't really have any friends in the UK um to speak of um that I actually you know connected with um in any meaningful way because I was a bit too young um I think after that um when I actually moved back to the UK initially I was really really sort of interested in it um but it was again sort of from a slight outside perspective and now I think I view it in a much more kind of detached way yeah yeah. Any hands for uh, the next um, answer to that first question? Charlie? Mm. Well, um, I mean, I wasn't quite sure I understood the question about perception of the music scene as such. But I will tell you, I am older than Joe. No, really, viewers, I am. And um, I see for me, Right, so 
Britpop, this is like the early 90s, right? We're talking about early mid 90s. Mid so like I started being in bands in the late 80s, at which point it was kind of like pop music had been brilliant when I was a teenager. And then suddenly pop music was rubbish. It was all like Curiosity Killed the Cat and and I don't know, <laughs> Doc Aiken and Waterman and stuff. And if and everybody that like that liked music as opposed to just um you know, pretty people on top of the pops in my peer group all got into kind of indie music and guitar music and everything became, you know, I think it felt like a separate thing. Like you did music, you played guitar in a band and it was kind of like, it, it was, you would never expect to be on top of the pops, put it that way. And for me, when Britpop came along, it was like a load of people going, hey, we can play guitars and we can be pop stars too. So that's my perception of things changing with Britpop. I don't really know what my perception of the music scene as such was before Britpop, other than that it was being a band, be cool, don't, but you won't be on top of the pops. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to clarify, you've actually um, got the question just right there. Essentially, I'm asking what was it like just before it kicked off? So we're thinking maybe like, say, 91, maybe 1990. But even then, it didn't really kick off until, like, say, 94 in terms of like the wider perception of people using the term Britpop. Um, but yeah, we have Simran and Simon left regarding this first question. Any, uh, any takers? Go on, then. <laughs> um... Yeah, so, I mean, I think I was a little bit too young for pre-Britpop. Um, I would, I kind of really got into music uh, through Britpop. Um, so I guess that was because of things like uh, indie bands going on top of the pops. So, yeah, that was my perception was before Brit, that Britpop was what enabled bands to be able to do that. And before then, it was all a bit cliquey and underground and grubby. <laughs> rubby 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 yeah actually it was like, it was you know, fairly grubby to be honest rebo and i don't know okay yeah, shoegaze and i can kind of um associate your understanding of brit pop side with my own experience even though i am um slightly older than you <laughs> I, I remember basically being 16 at the time, really getting into the idea of pretending to be Jarvis Cocker in front of the mirror yeah. when I thought everyone was asleep upstairs in my house. But I'm sure they knew I was dancing around to common people when Glastonbury was on. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they knew. Uh, there's that. And there's also um, my love of the kind of era that was just before it. That was like kind of like the grunge thing with like, say, Nirvana. Um, and whatnot, and then also discovering Radiohead. So it's a weird amalgam of various different musical ideas um, and cultural understanding. Um, but I now a lot more detached from it, um, courtesy of a certain, uh, say, written interview in the Quietus. Um, but we might talk about that later. We may not. I don't know. Simran, uh, you are the final person to talk about Britpop in terms of how you saw it before it was really widely used as a term. What do you think of that period of time? Well, I think the, the the music scene before was, um, I just remember like having kind of DM boots being 13 and having DM boots in combats and, you know, wearing kind of, uh, you know, um, yeah, like band t-shirts, like, like Nirvana were the sort of phenomenon, weren't they? And then there was loads of just my, 
how I saw it anyway, loads of terrible bands affiliated with the whole grunge thing. You know, Nirvana were pretty amazing and I was kind of into the Lemonheads. And then I remember I used to go to the Marquee on Tottenham Court Road, which is now Weatherspoons. And I remember it used to be like, you know, they'd be playing like Nirvana and, um, I don't know, Red Hot Chili Peppers and, uh, uh, and like Offspring and stuff. And then I just remember going there and almost overnight, everyone was like wearing Adidas T-shirts and like, you know, had cut their hair and it was like 1994 or something. And uh, yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, it just, it just seemed really sort of, to a sort of 15 year old, it seemed kind of really enticing and glamorous and something you could feel sort of a part of. And I guess all the bands before that seemed to be kind of American. I don't know, but I could be wrong. I was quite young a while ago. Yeah. Sure. sure. But yeah, I remember seeing Elastica on Top of the Pops. Like, uh, Charlie was talking about Top of the Pops and just thinking, fucking hell, like I've not heard anything like this before. Obviously, you know, the song was ripped off from Wire, but at the time I, I didn't realise that, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think I'm going to move on to the next question, which is a whole load of heaviness. So, where does the journalistic construct of Britpop begin, and what is the legacy of our awareness of its existence? Anyone. This is what keeps me up at 3 a.m. in the morning. So, you're just going to suffer as well now. I'll tell you something. Go for it. Um, well, my understanding is the first. Well, one of the first main uh, times that Britpop sort of came, was used, was um, it was an issue of Select magazine with Brett Anderson, and there was a big Union Jack behind him, which obviously was not his choice. And it had the uh, headline, Yanks Go Home. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> um, um. I think that was like one of the main things, but I don't know. Okay, yeah. Um, that was obviously not his choice being the main thing that I'm pulling from that in that yeah. some bands were given maybe less choice as to how they were being shopped for want of a better world, word to the world. Um, I suppose Suede were one of them, but I think Suede ducked out pretty early for various different reasons to do with interband um, stuff. And so therefore there was a whole vacuum, I think that was being filled by these other bands who may have been more willing to be swept up in that um, Britpop uh, vehicle, I think. But yeah, other people in this room stop me from talking myself out of my life. <laughs> so, I mean, was the question is the question twofold, as in sort of what do you think it originally was coined to say, and what does it now mean? Because I think there are two different. Things. Yeah. Um, I, I liken your reading of it, but when I say, where does the journalistic construct of Britpop begin? I'm talking about where it actually was kind of like first manifest. And I suppose that magazine cover that Simon was talking about is a good signpost. And the second half of it is, what is the legacy of our awareness of its existence? So again, I could be citing that quietus um, article, but now that we know of it, being of, a of it being of a constructivist nature, how does it affect our nostalgia about it? You know, I'm quite happy to take interpretations of a question rather than my initial thought. I mean, I, I reread that, uh, the Quietus article that was, I don't know if it's the one that you're particularly speaking about, but it's the one that was um, published on the anniversary of Park Life. That's the one. Um, which I find really interesting. I disagree with a lot of it, but I agree with a lot of it. Um, 
And I think that the way that the writer has talked about um, Britpop bands not necessarily um, really having too much in, t in common in terms of genre apart from basically being mostly white male bands with guitars was an overt Britishness and detached intelligence, which I think is how I perceive it now as this sort of, and, and also sort of through the prism of a kind of um, that particularly 90s aesthetic of um, ostensible postmodern kind of reworking of 60s, you know, the, the 60s. <laughs> Yes, um, so yeah, I, that's why I, I mean I might be jumping the gun because I know you've got a question about this afterwards, but that um, I do consider pulp to be a Britpop band because I because, but then I also have this benefit of being somebody who can like be really detached in viewing all of this stuff because I wasn't in the UK like as a proper you know performing member of cultural society, so I saw it all from the journalistic point of view and also as someone who is about 10 years old so yeah, <laughs> it's easy for me to now think that sure, uh, sure yeah sure. um yeah we'll definitely get to pulp in the moment um charlie sim do you have anything to what say regarding yes yeah I did. oh whoa whoa okay maybe charlie's gonna answer first yeah. and then we'll, <laughs> we'll gather what the question is from her answer go I've been rummaging, I've been rummaging looking for a record and I can't find it because I was like, what is the legacy of our awareness of its existence? This is the legacy, basically um, <laughs> the indelicates of this brilliant album, and this is the lyric book you see, um, called Univer Breakup, which is about how, um, well, it's a kind of concept album about Brexit. And one of the central themes in it is that like Jimmy Savile is like this punch character that has basically, that's like, Ah, bear with me, viewers. I've got a bit overexcited. But okay. one, of, one of the strands within this kind of thing, which is about how this kind of, there was something twisted and dark in, in England that has kind of like led to this awful thing happening, is that Britpop caused Brexit because everyone was so busy being nostalgic and, and um, retro about everything that... that the thing is I've overreached myself because this is something actually I talk about a lot and I've gone and got excited and looked for the record and now I've forgotten it but basically for me that's the legacy the legacy is an amazing um concept album about how Britpop calls Brexit I want to check out this album and I definitely want to um throw it out to the room that are we talking about Brexit? Brexit. Are we talking about Brexit being caused by Britpop or Britpop exposing what was already there that might have happened anyway? I would like to just say um, I completely just don't buy into this idea at all. Um, but I know a lot of journalists do. I've read other people say it. I just I remain unconvinced. <laughs> I want to hear more of how you're unconvinced. I want to give Sim a chance to answer the question and then we'll come I, back to your unconvinced I, moment. <laughs> I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will say it again, okay? Um, 
where does the journalistic construct of Britpop begin? And, at oh, and right. what is the legacy of our awareness of its existence? I'm sure this can be written out a lot better, but as I said, I wrote this down at 3 a.m. in the morning. It felt good, and here we are. Uh, I, re I remember the cover of Select that Simon was talking about, um, but I suppose for me, I suppose I kind of, uh, it was that summer of 95, I think, when I sort of became aware of it as a, as a concept, as a, as a load of bands who are around at that time who had been bunged in together. I think kind of uh, maybe when menswear came along, ah, possibly yeah. like they, they seem to encapsulate it. I don't know. Like I always thought suede were kind of, you know, a bit more uh, out on their own, you know, a bit darker uh, musically, you know, um, I don't know. Is, is that, but then I remember the enemy had this cover when there was the whole contest, wasn't there, for who was going to be the number one, um, you know, yeah, I mean, or um, ro ro roll with it. This is part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation, yeah. because I think sometimes uh, a concept like, say, Britpop or grunge will be introduced into the vernacular and it means something to different people. And that is not really, it doesn't really exist. Not really, you know, like if we're trying to work out if Suede is part of Britpop because they're lighter or darker, isn't that part of the, the dissonance? Because you had some bands that were arguably like, Supergrass is a, a much more up band, but if they did some darker stuff, does that mean they're not doing Britpop stuff? I, I don't know. Well, what is Britpop? let me just say, I am an oxymoron in myself because I played in two bands that are to lesser or greater degrees associated with Britpop, and yet I hate everything Britpop stands for. Simon will, will also tell you that me saying that is actually partly a lot of rubbish and me posturing because there are loads of Britpop songs and Britpop bands that I really like. But it says, so for me, I, I divorce the kind of concept of Britpop from a lot of, you know, there's a lot of individual songs and bands from that era that are part of that umbrella term that I like. And I think it's just culturally the, the kind of idea of, of, of um, because for, for me, what I, what I, what I hated about Britpop per se at the time was I, you know, I'd got into all, all the music I'd liked had seemed to be moving forward, and 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 a lot of the the music associated with Britpop seemed to be a regression. It was it was I was like I've heard these chord changes before I've heard this kind of melodic idea before and it seems to be a lot of hearkening back to kind of like some golden age of 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 British pop or several golden ages of British pop and I was just like that's not and I think that's when I'm talking about obviously I don't literally mean I don't think that 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 Britpop calls Brexit I just I associate a kind of cultural backwardness and regression it's sort of like it's you can you can you can look at it as all part of a kind of you know regressive trend basically and that's certainly you know I like a lot of Britpop songs the, the idea that was constructed by journalists of Britpop is absolute anathema to me and I detest it yeah we hear that <laughs> <laughs> Simon I don't want to leave you hanging you were saying about being unconvinced by this article. Oh no, um, I didn't really have a lot. About what, what the article was and then tell us why you, you're unconvinced why it's not. No, really I mean, I, I didn't have anything in particular to say. It's just um, like in 2020, who is talking about Britpop? We yeah. are. 
Yeah, we are. <laughs> and we are like metropolitan liberal elite wankers. <laughs> like, and we're dissecting Britpop. Like, we didn't vote for Brexit. So, like, Britpop fans didn't vote for Bre- Brexit necessarily. I don't get the connection. Um, it's it's not a literal connection, Simon. I'm sorry. It's not. I I, no, I, I very it. definitely don't literally think that Britpop calls Brexit. And I know. I definitely I know. Don't. But you know, like what Joe said about the sort of uh, sort of ironic detachment and stuff like that. Mm. Like, yeah, that's what I think Britpop fans were into. Mm. Where do you think it's coming from? This. Um, this approximation by these journalists? Do you feel that it's genuine or is it misunderstanding that period of time? Or is it overly dissecting it because it's like taking out some trousers you used to wear and think, oh God, I used to go down the street in this. I better fucking explain myself. <laughs> I think that's that does seem to be quite a large part of it. Okay. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, from the articles that I've read sort of looking back at the 90s there does seem to be quite a lot of personal regret involved in the writer um and i think it can be it can be argued it can be argued quite convincingly i that you know the sort of optimism that's always talked about with Britpop and its connection to sort of national pride which was stirred up by the media not by the necessarily the bands themselves could have led to a kind of jingoistic um, fervor that's led a lot of people to have a Brexity kind of viewpoint. So I can see why you could have you could have that that view. I don't personally know if that's the, the case, but I can totally see that argument. Yeah. Um, but then I also think that there are quite a lot of it's kind of quite ironic seeing these a lot of writers kind of going back on themselves and like coruscating themselves for being like oh I championed blur and now I realize that I was doing the worst thing possible for society it's like you're not actually that important <laughs> like exactly. just music <laughs> there's quite a large part of it sort of like the music press of the time was encouraged also to to say something about the social you know existence of the country what does this mean about Britain and it doesn't necessarily mean that much looking back on it. Just the music doesn't, I think. It just kind of got all sort of wound up in itself and then people are still talking about it in terms of it being super important. I think um, at a stretch, you could convince me that Britpop helped New Labour get in. I could maybe Mm. buy into that, but not sort of right-wing Brexit-y, no. Yeah, but again, Again, I, I think when even even referring into a general term, I'm I'm talking about the, the the kind of the journalistic idea of it rather than um you know people going to gigs kind of thing. You know, it's it was um and I think and I think it just always it I, I remember that select thing that you were talking about. I was like that was certainly the first thing I remember. But and I just remember being kind of horrified by it, and I just all I always had that um I I. I always just had this 
feeling about it that I, I was uncomfortable with it. It just felt regressive in so many ways. And I was just yeah. like, this, this isn't what I've signed up for with like indie music. I wanted it to be doing something new and forward looking, you know. I don't think I don't think I was particularly into any of the bands, really, to be honest, at the time. But I, I think like it was great the way that in a way it was great the way that like it brought loads of people together and, you know, so London felt quite sort of vibrant and people people were sort of, you know, I suppose in terms of indie music or guitar music, people were sort of, I don't know, unified. Um, I don't even know if that's the right word. But then in another way, there was no sort of diversity. I don't even mean like in terms of ethnically, I just mean in terms of the music, like not like there is now, you know, where there's just so much kind of much more interesting music going on, you know. Different. Can I um, pose a question based on what you just said? Perhaps yeah. there was diversity, but it wasn't really being pushed for you, the reader, possibly, yeah, to really check out. You know, it's been lost to time to an extent, unless you're really deep underground and you know this and you can present that as a yeah. But I suppose it was just harder then to know, wasn't it? Because there was no internet and it was just like you, you just got the enemy and you kind of read what and you, you believe what they said. I mean, I, I was just into these animal men and smash, really. And so it's only when I look back, I sort of think, oh, pop were quite good and, and supergrass were good, you know. Um, but there was a lot of it that just seemed a bit kind of, you know, a bit stupid, I suppose, looking back on it, you know. Indeed. We should talk about pulp. I'm going to move on to the next question. Um, actually, Pulp is three questions away. Bear with me. Another question. Um, what do we stand to lose in the continued re-evaluation of Britain's musical boom? Credibility. Any... I was just going to say, any last shred of credibility that we have. Can you repeat that again? Because I think I talked over you or laughed over you. What was the question? Ask them even. Hmm? What was the answer? What was you just saying? I said credibility. Okay. And I had been about to say every last shred of credibility. <laughs> <laughs> what, was it, what did you ask, John? The question was, what do we stand to lose in the continued re-evaluation of Britain's musical boom? Simon said credibility. <laughs> but wasn't, wasn't, it, wasn't it better in the kind of early 2000s? What is better? Um, I'd say it was wasn't less it, it, was it? in terms of how the press was presenting it, or we were more nuanced as a culture to pick up on what was being presented and say, actually, no, this isn't part of some big thing. That's what I'd say. But I might want to defer to Simon's understanding of the 2000s because I know that's his favourite period in, in music. As far no, as it's not. No? <laughs> I'm, sure <you> <laughs> I'm sure you said so. No, I probably was defending it against everyone hating on it, like I always do. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've got like my teenage son out of his room just to explain himself. I'm sorry, Simon. Okay. But um, <laughs> yeah, I love Britpop and I love 2000 stuff as well. Because like, that's when I was young. Why would I not? Yeah. I, I would. Oh, sorry. Oh, was that a hand? See, this has got confusing. But I would like to say I pick up on what the right honourable gentleman member for Birmingham um, Hollywood just said, huh? Yeah, yeah, Birmingham yeah. South just said, and that is because I, I am also aware, so um, apart from the kind of cultural thing, when, when I was, you know, there's a lot, there were a lot of Britpop bands and that I still, you know, don't like because I find them just like rehashing things that had gone before, but 
I say that with an awareness, that's because I was of that age that I'd already heard that stuff before. And if I had been a bit younger, I would have loved it. I, I would have loved all of those mm. bands. And it's just like, you know, like my, my brother, who's 16 years older than me, didn't understand when I was into Duran Duran and, and lo loads of bands I was into because he was like, we fought the punk wars against all that. It's like whatever's mm. current when you are a teenager is the most exciting thing ever. And it's and and. I can look at it objectively and go a lot of them, you know, there was so much um, music. I, I'm still hesitating to say good music, but um, there were a lot of good bands. And I think if I had been really young in that period, I would be looking back on that period saying this was the best time ever for music. And I think that's an important thing that I disagreed with in the Quietus article, which was saying, for example, that um, Blur in particular, it all sounds really hollow. It's like a rehashing of, stuff that came before and I'm just thinking this is somebody in their 20s basically doing what a lot of bands have done before him which is filtering all of his observations about the world around him through the prism of stuff that he's listened to when he was really young and I think it's a bit unfair to sort of I mean I don't I don't love all the Britpop and I do I'm just there was a lot you know that was just kind of retreads of nonsense but I think you can't sort of put that mantle on someone like from not knowing them at all and you know I don't know maybe it comes down I don't know it doesn't come down to that I was going to almost rehash that awful thing of like if you haven't made a record then you can't talk about music but that's absolute bollocks <laughs> but I do think like you have to have some sort of empathy with the person who's making it as opposed to seeing them as this sort of like detached cultural entity which he's not he's a person who grew up in Essex listening to the kinks like do you yeah. think that we're more unforgiving as a culture now when it comes to discussing certain topics of uh, well divisibility I suppose which isn't mm -hmm. the word I'll go with it certain topics do you mean topics or do you mean music because I don't think uh, well, we're, we're, I don't we're think stick to music but I mean it kind of broaches on that thing that everyone seems to want to do now which is to kind of understand the past and the way where we pretty much break it down and think about how it could have been to a point without realizing the human element revolt within. You if know, I think if you're talking about music criticism, I'm just speaking of that personally, it was much more critical in years gone by, I think. I think we're always shocked now if we hear someone like having negative opinions about stuff, it sounds quite shocking. And it was kind of the norm when I was first reading the music press. So that's my view on that. Okay. Um, any other views on that particular question or subjects that are followed on before I move on to the next thing? Or not? Okay, that's the time a lot for that one. Well, let's move on. Um, oh. Did someone say something? No? Okay. All right, so what cultural progression can be attributed to Britpop? <laughs> Charlie looks like she wants to say something. Please, do not censor yourself. Part of the reason why I'm doing this is because I'm bored with stuff playing Street Fighter 4. So just eliminate my life. Go for it. I'm, I'm amazed that you've managed to put cultural progression <laughs> and attributed and Britpop in the same <laughs> sentence. Even the bits that I love about Britpop bands now 
I would not see any of them as a cultural progression. By the way, I do like Blur, and I think that that criticism that Joe just mentioned about Blur doesn't. I just like I don't get that. Blur of all of them don't sound like a rehash to me. The thing was Blur were quite interesting because I think, like Joe said, they kind of synthesised their influences and made something new from it. But I still wouldn't call that a cultural progression. I don't think. I don't think, and I'm not saying that's necessarily inherently wrong not everything has to be progressive but i don't think Britpop was progressive that's my view a strongly felt one um could someone give me an example of cultural progression in music terms i'd say people stopped playing the guitar the same way when say hendrix was like doing his thing you know it, it had like a certain progression in terms of how people wanted to treat the instrument um, I'd say that when the downward spiral came out, people realised you can really make something quite messy and dirty and still sell. Um, so those are progressions that I'm thinking of just at the top of my head. Punk. Mm. Do you want more, Simon? Not really. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> I, I, sort of, I sort of agree. agree like looking back on it, I sort of think um, Blur was sort of... Um, I think sort of looking back on it, I sort of think Damon Albarn's a bit of a genius, really, which I never would have thought at the time, you know, when he was doing Parklife and stuff, I was never into it, but maybe not particularly that song, but as an artist, I think, you know, what he's done over the last sort of 25 years has been pretty, uh, pretty phenomenal, really, you know, um, the way that he's kind of developed and changed and done so many different things and and yeah he he really has progressed hasn't he i mean noel gallagher is still playing the same songs he was trying to play in 93 you know it's like it's yeah. like a, it's like there's huh? a good example a whole video a good... there. i mean noel gallagher <laughs> peaked in like 1994 didn't he it's it like downhill sort of uh, you know but then an, an an example... about what Jay said earlier i mean he's only a human being <laughs> Really human. Should I, am I defending fucking Oasis? How is this happening? Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> I, I, I also wouldn't want to put it into sort of the frame of Blur versus Oasis thing, um, because I think Oasis, I used to really, really like Oasis, um, and I sort of went off them as um, I got a bit older and just their music got a bit less interesting to me. But I still think that, like, they have two albums that are really exciting kind of guitar music and I don't think uh, they think they trying they were trying to do a quite different thing in terms of aesthetic to blur but I think the reason why they get lumped in together is because of that thing of like it's it's very sort of uh so it's very sort of based in your own personal experiences with a sort of retro aesthetic which isn't necessarily by design retro, but just sort of the things that you were interested in and talking about your life kind of thing and being in a guitar band and kind of yeah, very I British person. It's so, kind of what happened with Pearl Jam and Nirvana, how the press was using them as a way of saying, hey, choose which trump card is like your favorite. Yeah. It becomes boys and toys, I think. Yeah. So. And one thing that I did actually agree with in the Quietus article that I've recently reread, which is why I keep talking about it, is that it said that this sort of division of Blur and Oasis doesn't really make any sense actually looking back on it because it feels like Parklife 
is a stepping stone from the early Britpop thing to the later Britpop thing of Oasis. Like it, it feels like a sort of pulp thing, a pulp kind of like arch observational thing mixed with this anthemic guitar thing that Oasis were doing. And I think, yeah, it's more like a sort of continuum rather than this sort of binary thing. Sure. That's what do the rest of you think? I have a, a a binary of my own to offer, replacement binary. When Simon was asking about progress, an example of progressive music, this is arguable whether it's progressive, but it certainly was in this context. I was at a recording of Later with Jules one time, and in performing were Anna Calvi, who was, I won't swear, but quite amazing. And, you know, undeniably doing something different to everyone else in that room. And Liam Gallagher's, was it the High Flying Birds or BDI? One of his things that he does, Liam, oh God, the, the, the point was there were these two guys in front of me slagging off Anna Calvi all the way through, which was really rude. And I had to ask them to be quiet. And then when and then when Liam Gallagher came on and just did his kind of like like just I don't know boring <laughs> stuff, they turned around and went, "See that? That's proper music." They they oh. literally that's proper music. Okay. And I was like, and I remember thinking, no, that's regression. But they yeah. Well, well, that's the thing is, it's the attitude to it that's regressive. I think the thing in and of itself isn't necessarily so. Yeah, what I was trying to say. it becomes a vehicle or a demonstration of masculinity rather than an approach to art. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why groups like, say, Loud Women exist, because there was a lot of that going on and it was never really addressed. Um, but yeah, anybody else have anything to say on that question? It was a, it was a bit laddie, wasn't it? Is, mm. is that what you mean? When I, when I look back on it, it was a bit sort of, yeah, in a way, which I wasn't too keen on, you know. Yeah. A bit sort of uh, a bit a bit vacuous in that kind of way, but 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 you know anyway, like I I, I don't want to slag it off too much. Uh, that summer of '95 was 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 incredible. You know, I was 15. You know, um, just getting into going out. You know, it was it was it was sort of vibrant in a way that it's just not now. You know, mm. I mean, obviously now it's it's not now, but you know pre all the virus and stuff yeah but but yeah. is it because i and i i know i do this myself because i will think about you know i think i think it's a tendency for everybody to remember the first Lost time the that they start going out as though that was the most vibrant time yeah, yeah. you know True, it's not like that these days well we're not we're not 18 and going out to things for the first time so yeah, we, yeah. how can we compare we don't know that's true that's true <laughs> i like to think i am but <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like in my me, head I still am yeah <laughs> when I when I first started going out it uh, was like 1999 2000-ish now most people would agree that that was a much shitter time than 95 I reckon yeah you know, so that was Star Sailor wasn't it and uh, it was yeah so like during with, breaks so if I was a bit older Texas, I could Texas. Have, I could have seen some really bands, like. mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I remember Placebo being a really good band. And then after the first album, just a big nosedive into nothingness. And I really just, you know, it's coagulated in that last few, few breaths of the 90s, you know. So, yeah, um, I think Pop Stars, The Rivals was rearing its ugly head. There was a lot of things that were coming from a corporate side of music that seemed to be um, taking what they thought people wanted and just making it really just dumbed down. Yeah, I mean, I still think, I'd be interested if anyone disagrees, but I think the mid nineties was a much better time for music than pre-Britpop and the tail end of the century. Does anyone think that like 99 was like the best year? I mean, I sorry. No, you. I, mean, I, I would say I like 1997, like the beginning of the end. Because then you've got yeah. things like OK Computer and you've got Homogenic by Björk and you've got all this stuff that um, because of the renewed, I feel like maybe, I don't know, it was because of the renewed like excitement and sales drummed up by the music press, like championing bands from in the sort of mid 90s. Then you get just people reading loads more music magazines and then you get more criti critically acclaimed, interesting albums like that, which are... Um, more sort of paranoid and the sort of thing that you know I find a bit more exciting but yeah. then also I mean I might find them a bit more exciting because I was of the right age you know yes so um, yeah that's that's the area that I like best. yeah I kind of want to sound like an old man here I don't want to sound like an old man but I inevitably will sound like an old man here but I remember that there were a lot of flirtations with um 60s counterculture around 96, 97, that were just references, like Oasis doing a collaboration with, um, who was that dance band that I should remember? Chemical Brothers. Um, yeah. Had oh, yeah. Coming out of someone's ass. There was all sorts of basically sounds which were trying to allude to the idea that we're progressing, we're doing something kind of vaguely, you know, late 60s-ish. So I don't think a lot of those bands were coming from a particularly uh, genuine place. There are notable exceptions like say Radiohead, um, and I do appreciate Blur trying to disentangle themselves from what they obviously couldn't control anymore, which was the press pushing them a certain way. You know, I'm sure Damon does regret selling the Universal to a gas company. Or maybe he doesn't, but I'd like to think that he does. What an amazing song. It's an amazing song. I say that. I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think the Chemical Brothers were cynical about it. I think, I, I mean, I'm a complete apologist at this point. But I think they genuinely do like psychedelic music. Um, and that, I think that, that album was like them just going, all right, here's our moment. We can now do this because people will buy it. Rather than if they'd released that earlier on, maybe they couldn't have got Liam Gallagher to sing on it and they couldn't have, you know, brought all of their psychedelic stuff to the wide audience they wanted to. I, yeah. I think it's genuine and good. I should put a caveat in there. And I think half of that relationship was like, yay, this could be fun. The other half was like, hey, we can sound even more like the Beatles now. So that's where I'm coming from in it, just from my experience of it. I, I just would like to say, I would like to say I, I totally agree with Simon's. Um, I, I, his, his, his mid nineties, better than late nineties assertion and I am older and know best. Thank you. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I will go. I will. I, I remember.
remember I used to read the like singles review every week and just think all these singles are shit most weeks and in fact one week I had to do the singles review for Melody Maker with two of my co band colleagues and I was having a really bad day so I didn't actually say what I thought because I was sat there feeling really like you know inside myself and that's one of my big regrets because it was like I got played shit song after shit song and had to try and find something nice about them. And I just remember thinking, all music is shit. <laughs> That's what I thought. I think that. I like the attitude of the like, late, say, 97 going onwards. I don't like a lot of the results, but I like the attitude. Um, and even though I am very much attached to, like, say, the mid to the early 90s, just because it was my coming of age and whatnot, um, I don't know. I, I feel that that article that we keep coming back to did just point out a few things that I wasn't aware of at the time, but now I can't unsee. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, mean, I was aware of it at the time, so, but I am older and know best. <laughs> I'm getting my birth certificate out because I'm sure I'm older than everyone in this room age combined. I'm just saying that right now. <laughs> um, before I go on to the last questions, anyone have anything to say about what we've discussed so far? I think I'm, I'd just like to say I really appreciate the honourable member for South for Birmingham South in in um, pointing out that we've lost all credibility by talking about the 90s in the 2020s. Yeah. So apologies, <laughs> viewers. Yeah, we, I don't know what we were thinking. Yeah. The certain irony of looking backwards, 30, like 25 years, whilst accusing fucking brilliant bands of doing the same. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I think it's intriguing to look back as a historian. I think this room's been quite balanced. But yeah, you are right, Simon, that there are quite a few edgelords who want to get themselves a certain kind of, um, uh, say, pedigree by saying that they understand something in a way where it's all really, really shit. I don't um, think it's edgelords necessarily, but it's normally old people. Um, there were quite a few articles hey. that were articles shared by those articles. Oh, wait, was that a dig at me? I didn't write the fucking thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd chat about it. What the fuck? Anyway. That wasn't a dig at anyone. Okay. I think what Simon's trying to say is that it's his um, ageing live guitarist. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, it goes back to that thing of like, yeah, if you've heard it all before, then yeah, you can hear Blur and go, oh, I've heard the teardrop explodes, you know. Yeah. But if you've yeah. never heard the teardrop explodes, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and in fact, I remember going to see Birdland and, th and having the one of the best gigs of my life. I went in, by the way, preparing to hate them. I'd read stuff about them in the music press. I was like, they're going to be shit, but there's nothing else happening in Exeter, so I need to go and see them. And within five, like, within half a song, I was down the front, had the best night ever. And then, and but everyone that I spoke to that was over 30 were like, well, they just sound like the Rolling Stones and the Sex Pistols sort of mashed together. There's like nothing to it. And they were, and I remember just being like so angry. So whenever, whenever, um, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware that my, as I said earlier, that my dislike of certain bands from the 90s is only because I was I was old and I already by then and I'd heard some of that stuff before, you know. Yeah. And now I'm kind of 
old uh, and uh, <laughs> and I sort of look at certain bands and go really is this the best we've got <laughs> oh. yeah. Yeah. like it's well, too well, real for me hopefully it'll get better <laughs> with COVID is cleared up. But um, yes, last question, because I feel I'm running out of time, even though I really want to keep talking about this. Um, Shed 7 is a Britpop band, whilst Pulp isn't, but has often been labelled as such. Discuss. I mean, Bollocks. where does that question even come from? I mean, Pulp have always been a Britpop band, as far Do as I'm aware. Because I feel we haven't done that. And it would be nice to know what you think of when they say Britpop. Because I don't think Jarvis would actually be saying to everyone that I was a Britpop band. And yet people try and push them away in that way. They try and give them a certain kind of reverence. Would anybody, apart from Shed 7, actually go, I'm in a Britpop band? You know, it's like saying, I'm everyone, no one's a goth, are they? No one's, no one's a Britpop band, mm. apart from Shed 7. Apart from Filters and Nephilim, of course. You know? <laughs> Shed 7 is still going, though, aren't they? They had their like, yeah. biggest album, didn't they, like last year. Oh, shit. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Good on you, Rick. Um, yeah, I, I don't understand the question. So you, I want you, maybe, you John, to... You could mm -hmm. explain your thinking behind the question. I will. I like being challenged by you, Simon. This no, is the thing. Whenever <laughs> people talk about Britpop, they often reserve a safe space for bands that aren't so. They will say Pulp aren't Britpop. They'll say Radiohead aren't Britpop. They say Suede aren't Britpop. And yet they come up in that conversation because they're around that time. Maybe mm -hmm. I've answered the question for myself while talking about it, but I wanted to talk about why I reserve a certain place for, say, Shed Zevin or the Boo Radleys or Northern Uproar uh, for a Britpop as a term. Well, it's just a convenient way of saying I like these bands, like it allows me to like these bands, but not these, but like distance myself from these bands. Mm. So it doesn't make sense. I think it's a, it's a sort of, um, because of the populism of Britpop that's perceived now, like, and probably at the time, um, that people just kind of go, oh, well, not that thing that everyone like likes. Like that's passe now. Like I like the weirdest stuff. Like it's just like the old thing of like I like the early stuff. That's always been the case with people who like think they're trendy. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. it's and it, it, I think particularly with Britpop because it's all so imbued within this cultural identity that a lot of British people are quite ashamed of now. Um, it, it's it's much more kind of intense the fact that people want to kind of distance themselves i'm like oh no i don't i don't like blur oasis because that was like this big mass pop thing that now i feel like you know embarrasses me and you know the bands that were sort of on the sidelines but i personally as a bourgeois outsider would consider pop like it's not as emotional for me but i can understand why people would be like no i don't want to side with you know these lads and also, I think with genre, like you can be a Britpop band, but that doesn't mean that that's all you are. Like you might, yeah. like yeah. Pulp are so much more than just a Britpop band. And obviously yeah. they started, well, in 1978, but like they did stuff in the 80s that is obviously not Britpop. 
But still, if you're saying name some Britpop bands, you would have to include Pulp and Blur. And Slade. Slade. Yeah, yeah. Slade. Yeah. 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 Perhaps we're in like a very strange um, situation that I had a conversation the other day with someone who professed to being a Blur fan and they didn't know the song Tracy Jacks. And I wanted to know how come that didn't actually occur. And I didn't know the album Modern Life is Rubbish. This is from someone who I think checks out playlists and sees that as a good representation of what happened at the time. So what happens like 20 odd years from now is that people may not necessarily have enough insight into what happened because they may not feel they have to because it's just presented in a certain way. So that's another reason why having this conversation. I thought, How young were they? Good question. They were 32. Wow, okay. Exactly. That's yeah. the oldest Prince Charles was when he married Lady Diana. Sorry? Sorry. Sorry, I've interrupted there. I said that's as old as Prince Charles was when he married Lady Diana Spencer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> John. John. Very Britpop prism through which to view this particular. John, if we're going to talk about Britpop, we have to, like, it's a rule, a journalistic rule. We have to end it by saying, and then Diana died. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's where we're going to leave it. Thank you, Simon, for your notable inclusion. <laughs> um, sorry, don't, I don't know if you want to say anything on that last note. Um, uh, I can't remember. I, can't, I lost track of the question again. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, we kind of answered it for you. But, I mean, you can uh, answer it again in your own way. But essentially, we were saying some bands get lumped into being Britpop, some bands don't. Um, yeah. And we wanted to know why that is. I was thinking the Manix never really got affiliated with it, did they? The Manix Street Preachers. The, the Manix Street Preachers never really got affiliated with it, did they? They're, you're, you're really good. They weren't affiliated with it in a retrospective way, but at the time... Right. At the time, I don't think so either. I, I think that Holy Bible album came out, you know, and it was just so much darker than than any of it. That I don't, It feels like... When I, well, maybe I'm wrong, but when I, at the time it didn't feel like they were kind of part of it. And definitely, well, definitely looking back, they never lumped in with it, are they? Designed for Life was. Holy yeah. Bible kind of missed that. that was more 97, wasn't it? Yes. Um, 96. 96, sorry. It was 96, right, right, right. Yeah. But that was a different band, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Holy Bible came out the same week as Definitely Maybe. And, and also the Verve didn't feel like that they, you know, Urban him and um, uh, Northern Soul, uh, mm. sorry, terrible oh, mistake. Storm in Heaven. Sorry, yeah, Northern Soul and Storm in Heaven. Yeah, it, they felt like that they were kind of had their own, their own sort of uh, space as well, which is pretty cool. Indeed. Thank you all for making sure that I have not bored out of my mind by having this little conversation with me. You've all got records out in some way or another. If you want to tell people about them, you can now. Anyone. Or you've got an anti-caps, it's like, um, no, don't buy a record. Can I just show show Sim something? <laughs> oh, fuck. You have to keep talking. Oh, wow. Good. Can you see? Yeah, 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 amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can't see it. Simon, you need to speak. Speak. Yes. Don't, speak don't, while you show it. Hello, hello, hello. I'm these animal men. Oh, yeah. Three. I saw them 28 times whilst all Britpop was going on. Yeah. Oh. That's my last note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to sell any records. What's going on? No. Nah. 
I do. I've actually got a Christmas song coming out this Friday. I mean, this when is this going out, John? When does this out go this out? Friday. It's being recorded now on Tuesday. I'm that tired. Is it Tuesday? Yeah, it's going to be Tuesday. Okay, Monday. viewers, little spoiler. This this isn't live. This was a recorded. Um, <laughs> not a spoiler. We're at the end anyway. But anyway, so this is Friday. Today, today, my Christmas single has come out, which is called Merry Christmas Actually, and which I recorded with Donald Ross Skinner. And it's great. Awesome. Brilliant. I hope people check it out. Give me a link to it. I'll put it in the description box. Um, so no one wants to sell their stuff apart from Charlie. Fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to big you up. It's over. That's the end of the video. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <All right>. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll put stuff in the description box. Viewers, if you want to check out the records, it's down there. Check it out. Cool. All right. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> Goodbye. See you later. I can't work out how to leave. How do I? Oh, there we go. It's all good. <laughs>